1: and discuss quality of life issues at the airlines. But before we begin, a few announcements. First of all, uh, for those who have signed up for coaching or thinking of signing up for career coaching – please allow two weeks to schedule me during, especially during the summer months. We are super busy during the summer months flying and a lot of events, that type of thing. So give me about two weeks. Don't forget to look at the calendar. If that doesn't work in your schedule, just let me know. And if you're not able to, if you signed up for coaching, aren't able to schedule a coaching session, then of course we'll we'll reschedule that or, or give you a refund for that. Uh, going to the scholarships guide, another announcement. We are updating the scholarships guide, and that'll come out in the beginning of August. So if you signed up, For the one-year access, you can go out and check out the new uh, Scholarship's Guide as of August 2018. Of course, it's only $10 for one-year access. If you purchase the book in the Amazon store, uh, send us your e-receipt, your electronic receipt, and we will give you one-year access uh, to the website there. Of course, the easiest way, just go on the website and check that out. Anyway, moving on to some of your questions, a real quick thought before that. Uh, I was watching a video by Envoy. It says, Envoy Captain Upgrades on the Rise. It's a, it's a promotional video, obviously, by Envoy Airlines. But it's really cool because it talks a lot about quality of life. It talks about the captain upgrades on the rise and what that means towards your quality of life. So there's something interesting, another viewpoint on quality of life. What does all this movement mean in the airlines? It means that your quality of life is better, meaning that. You're not going to be on reserve as long. If you want to upgrade, you can make more money. Your quality of life goes up there. And it gives you, obviously, a faster uh, movement towards the major airlines. But with all that said, the quality of life issues are really big for me in general. Uh, You know, When you're trying to get towards that goal of being at a major airline, a lot of times you don't care about the quality of life, that type of thing. And even some of the people at the airlines don't care as much. Uh, But to me, it's very important, especially later on in your career, Quality of life issues are such that uh, they allow you to take vacations when you want, gives you more days off. Uh, Higher pay leads to better quality of life because you don't have to work as much to be able to pay the bills, that type of thing. So those are all quality of life issues. You know, being able to bid weekends off, et cetera, movement at the regionals gives you more opportunities to enjoy yourself uh, as a senior first officer, if that's what you want to do, or as a captain, too, because things are moving quickly and people are going off the top of the seniority list. On to the majors. Uh, so Envoy Airlines, good uh, job at putting that video out. It's only about two minutes long, so check it out. It's actually at the bottom of the show notes here for, uh, for this podcast. Really easy to find. Now let's move on to the questions from you and, of course, feedback at Aviation Careers Podcast if you want your question answered on here. Obviously, if you've heard your question read, I take out a lot of personal information and sometimes summarize your question because certain things are not uh, appropriate for the podcast, but they are important questions. So sometimes I just ask – it might be a long letter. I may just ask one question out of that long letter because a lot of that stuff is personal. Anyway, getting started, this comes from our Facebook page. Someone wrote in a question there. And uh, it's, oh, by the way, if you send questions in any of those formats like Facebook or on our website, et cetera, we kind of, we culminate all those into an online uh, question and answer form. So, uh, so anyway, keep them coming. And by the way, too, another thing is we, we do run about three months behind on our questions for questions and answers. So if you need something specific and need it right now, obviously you can sign up for coaching. Anyway, getting back to the first question says, hi there. I was just listening to the episode about picking a flight school, and I was wondering if geographical location is relevant. Say a pilot trained in Alaska, would that person be an advantage because they have flown in extreme weather? Or is the opposite true, that they may take longer to complete their program due to being grounded more often? Also, I was wondering about addressing the issue of already having a bachelor's degree prior to flight training. Is an aviation degree necessary, or are certifications still the most important? Thank you. Really enjoy the podcast. Keep up the good work. Well, thanks for that note. Uh, Also, question number one, as far as where you decide to do your training, uh, as far as importance, the most important thing is getting your ratings done, okay, and it's it also... Is, and I will say, there are some benefits to certain areas. There are some disadvantages. Uh, an example is I did my instrument training in New York, or actually in New Jersey, right under the, the TCA, uh, under Class Bravo Airspace. Gosh, shows you how long ago I did my my training. And in that area there, they actually had a lot of chatter with New York Approach Control. And it got you used to talking real fast on the radio and and discussing things with air traffic control. So there was an advantage there. Whereas if you're in, say, an area that's out in the middle of the country or somewhere away from a populated area, you may not have the interaction quite as much with the air traffic control, so you won't get that experience. So there's one. Uh, Most importantly for the airlines, of course, is IFR training, instrument training. Uh, Being in Alaska, yes, it helps you because – it will allow you to actually deal a lot with certain types of weather, especially with icing. So let's go to Florida. You know, people in Florida may not have seen icing ever uh, in their careers, and uh, they may be a couple weeks out of the year. Now, with that said, of course, we do fly airplanes, so you don't have to fly very far to get into icing up to Georgia, et cetera. And even parts of Florida do get icing. So, it doesn't open you to a lot of uh, certain experiences depending on where you do your training but that's just the way life is if you train in the mountains you're going to get a lot of mountain training but you're not going to get <clears throat> much training down in in the heat and learning about what goes on on the ground during during the hot weather etc and some of those things you know how to keep the plane cooler all those customer service items you know those type of things do vary where you are so yes it's it's somewhat relevant the big relevance to me if for you getting your all of your ratings is I want you to get your ratings as quickly as possible, and not be held up. You just mentioned on you know you're on the ground a lot because of the weather, and that really takes away from it. So it's you know if you love where you're flying, then stay there. I also say that too. It's it's part of it's the actual journey to your career, whether it's an airline, corporate, etc. So hopefully that answers that question. Uh, but if you want to get done quickly, uh, you got Arizona, parts of California, Florida, of course, are really popular states for. For training there just because of the weather. I mean, it's almost always sunshine. Moving on to your other question. As far as a bachelor's degree, no, you've got a bachelor's degree. That's all you need. It doesn't matter what it's in. Uh, The most important thing is to have the bachelor's and also have Your ratings, your ratings are outside of that. So let's kind of look at it this way: your bachelor's is your degree portion. Your flight training—that's your lab portion. If you've gone to college and done labs. So if you're say in computer science, you have a degree portion where you're sitting in classes, and then the the computer science part of actually you know doing the coding is more the practical side of things. Same thing with chemistry. In chemistry, you learn the theory, et cetera, and then in lab you actually. Practice certain things like titrations, etc. So those are the the type of things that are important to separate the two. But if you want to get a job in aviation, the the degree isn't quite as important. Uh, so, uh, but to have one's important, I should say that. Especially going on to the majors, if you don't have one, especially in this environment, you're still going to get an interview. Uh, it might be a little bit tougher uh, depending on what time you're moving forward uh, with your career there, and also you know, what airline you're applying to. Some aren't really as important than others. But yes, certifications are still the most important. Thanks again for the question. Again, feedback at com. Next question says, Hello, Carl, I've been listening to your podcast for the past seven, both Aviation Cures Podcast and Stuck Mike Avcast, and found them to be very inspirational and informational. I'm currently in the process of getting my private pilot license at a Part 141 school. After getting my private pilot license, I'm hoping to continue on with the rest of my ratings to become a commercial airline pilot. After going through my first class medical exam with my local AME, aviation medical examiner that is, my doctor told me that I passed my exam. However, because I had a history of illness, I needed to have the FAA make the final call as to granting me a medical certificate or not. After waiting two months, I received a letter from the FAA requesting more information before they could make the final decision. After going to the doctors again, I sent all my medical records back to them, and I've been waiting since then. It's been about seven and a half months, and I still have not heard any news on my medical certificate. I've been calling them every week to give me an update, and all they tell me is that it's still in review. I've gone through over half of my private pilot program, and I've had to stop since I cannot continue training without a medical certificate. My question is this, in your experience as a commercial pilot, as well as working with counseling with pilots, would you consider this to be normal for the FAA to take this long and to come to a final decision for my certification? Do you know why it takes so long for something like this to get done, and what can you do in a situation like this? And also, are there other types of medical certificates uh, that certain pilots get because of a certain health Histories besides the first, second, or third class. Thank you so much for the time and putting all these inspirational podcasts together. Uh, First of all, we all get the first, second, and third class medical, so that's what you need to get uh, to actually fly commercially. Uh, So, one of the things you need to do is straighten this out with the FA, and there are many ways to do that. Uh, One of the ways you can do that is to go out and hire somebody to help you. There's an organization that I use uh, to help with representing people in medical situations this is not i I endorse these guys because I've used them in the past there are other ones out there you'll hear that in a, a couple of questions down the road here on the podcast one of them is called aviation medicine advisory service aviationmedicine.com uh, we have reached out to them and would like to have them on the podcast they are incredibly busy because they also have contracts with the airlines uh, to give you an idea how how good they are they're out there in Colorado they were over in Denver area, actually, I think uh, what's it called uh, Centennial, Centennial, uh, Colorado, is where they're actually located. Really good people, uh, very helpful. They will actually, you can hire them as on a consultation basis. They will become your advocate uh, with the FA to help you move through this process. Just have to go through the whole process, f- sign some release forms. I I have actually had some medical issues. I've used them in the past, and they've been very good. Uh, so, and and most people that have gone to them have been great. The initial consultation, like, hey, where should I go? What should I do? They're the people to talk to. As far as this being normal, there is no such thing as normal when it comes to the government. It all depends. Um, As far as time that it takes for the government to do something, yeah. I mean, it it sometimes takes a while, uh, depending on who you are and and what you're doing to move this process forward. So I'd highly recommend looking at them or there are some other ones out there and you'll, you'll hear about one uh, in a future question here on the podcast. So there's, um, yeah, this has happened before and it's nothing new. It is a little bit longer than normal. I've heard them go longer than that, but that is a bit longer than normal. Usually they give you a certain amount of time. Uh, They request additional information. If you don't give them that additional information, then they will actually uh, not issue your medical certificate. Another interesting thing, too, by the way, is... You can pretty much get in it if you are, say, denied a medical or you get a request for information, say, they need 90 days, say, to do something. You can normally extend that by 30 days. Uh, so if you're given, say, like recently I was given like 60 days to look something up for a medical and uh, was able to extend it for 90 days, that type of thing. So it's something you can do right away by calling the FA to extend it. My only advice on that is don't do that till. Till, till the last minute because when you do file the 30-day extension, it's from the date that you actually file it. So you could be, they give you 60 days, say, to do something and you two days after you get the notice, you ask for 30 more days. They're going to just add the 30 days on to when you, you notify them. It's kind of strange. Uh, but that's the way it was explained to me when I talked to the FA. Maybe that's changed. I don't know. But uh, something that you have in your side pocket just to think about. Uh, so anyway, great questions. Uh, I do highly recommend you talking to those folks because they deal with the FA all the time. And next question comes, says, uh, Dear Carl, you rock. Thank you for the outstanding work on the podcast and scholarships. I'm um, 28-year-old, recent pilot. Congratulations. Uh, private pilot, I should say. With 70 hours, interested in bush flying in the airlines. I hold a bachelor's degree. Uh, and forestry, and uh, would like to think about using my retirement funds for training. Ooh, this is interesting. Uh, has with about and with a certain amount of money in your Roth IRA uh, and another saved during the summer that is going to put you into that realm, uh, the money you're talking about, of enough to pay for all of your training. But you've already done the math. This person uh, has said that with that savings, because in 30 years, that represents, get this, uh, this there's a total savings about, I think it was $42,000 after the year end that'll be in this person's Roth IRA. That equals $500,000 in 30 years. Think about that. If you never put any more money in, uh, then it's going to be $500,000. What does that mean? That's because of interest. Say uh, he's took, using about an 8% return. I like to use about a 7 but that's close enough. That's in a, a mixture of stocks, bonds, et cetera. Um, and obviously we don't offer financial advice. But uh, when people ask me, should I liquidate a, uh, a retirement fund, I usually say no, try to find some other means, uh, maybe even going in and trying to find scholarships. That would actually be a good thing. You know, one of the things that you talk about, too, is it's interesting because he continues on. He says, we may be on the tail end of a pilot hiring boom, and this seems risky. It may be more prudent to return to work, find a loan from friends, or a scholarship. I'm going to check out your guide. Good idea. That's what I would suggest. Thank you for any insight you may have and for all the inspiration you shared. This is a great question. I'm not a big fan of liquidating any type of retirement plan because you can't take it back. Um, it 's more for say an emergency or something like that if you had a medical emergency, et cetera. Uh, there are times that it makes sense, normally not for education. I understand that with that investment, say that forty two thousand or whatever we were talking about you 're going to make much more in your airline career you know five hundred thousand dollars you know that that 's you know a few years two three years of pay as a captain in an airline. but with that said you you also lose all that compound interest you have different tax disadvantages of course you're talking about a Roth so it's different but you have to talk to your financial advisor about this and you really need to talk to somebody uh good places to go go to finra.org to find somebody who is a financial planner there's lots of different places to go i know i talk about uh Rick Edelman he's one um <clears throat> there's there's a couple other ones out there and uh so there's there's a whole bunch of books out there uh, Dan Miller, you know, there's there's all, all sorts of people out there that talk about this, uh, but I'm not really a, friend, a fan of that. I would work my butt off to be able to pay for it or take it out of regular savings, not your retirement savings, two different things. Uh, and uh, obviously we're going to have another, by the way, another financial planner on, and so he can talk legally about all that kind of neat stuff, even though he's not giving you direct advice. Uh, we, and we don't give the financial advice, but in general we talk. Uh, I would really highly recommend you not doing that. Anyway, uh, moving on to some of the other things, too. Uh, one of the things uh, he mentioned, or I'll continue with his letter, it says, I went into trucking two years ago to save for flight school after watching airborne firefighting operations of the Wilderness Ranger. Trucking has been a great way to save money quickly with minimal training with a lifestyle experience akin to aviation. It offers a taste of life on the road, 14-hour variable shifts, including red eyes, using technical knowledge, pre-trip inspections, and listening to aviation-related books and podcasts. Uh, I think that's great. Uh, That is very similar. Uh, Medical standards are somewhat similar. They're they're, uh, a little bit different, obviously, but they're pretty close. Transportation is transportation. Transportation. One of the things that I really think is great is the fact that you've gotten that the the changes and shifts and the red eyes, et cetera. By the way, oh my gosh, I've done so many red eyes lately; it's killing me. There's uh, just so many trips that are do do those type of red eyes or pink eyes, as we call them, kind of a half a red eye, meaning you're kind of flying half the night. For instance, I sometimes start at midnight and I finish at like three or four in the morning, call those pink eyes. Um, But, you know, a true red eye, you know, you're going out at like midnight, getting up when the sun's coming up type of thing, do those a lot. I do those a whole bunch, probably about 20% to 30% of my flying I do. I've been trying to bump that down to less of that because those really, really hurt. Um, But I actually, you know, red eyes from the West Coast, East Coast, they don't bother me as much, but I do a lot of island flying in the middle of the night. Also, uh, he continues, I have a suggestion of bringing on an aviation medical examiner, aeromedical specialist like uh, Bruce Chen uh, with aeromedicaldoc.com on your show to talk about their field and pilots overcoming medical issues. I think it's a great idea. Uh, We've actually reached out to some medical examiners, and they're more than welcome to coming on. If you know who that is, I can send you or them an email with how to be a guest on the show. We actually have a whole video on how to become a guest on the show and how to go about being a guest on the show. It really would be cool to talk to a medical examiner. They, again, this aeromedicaldoc.com, they're usually, if they have a website and they're really into aviation medicine, they can help you. They're an advocate for you, for your medical, and trying to get you your medical back. If you've had any issues or have lost your medical or having problems trying to get your medical. So I think that's terrific. Uh oh, another thing he mentions, uh he continues, also I have listed an excellent a I've list of excellent aviation-related audiobooks on Audible that might be useful to include on your recommended reading section. If you're interested, yes, I am very interested. Please email them to me. Uh any reading, I'll go through them and see if they're appropriate for our audience. I'm sure they are. Also another one he mentions is is this one called LibriVox.org. I'll have a link in the bottom of the show notes. They have free audio versions of the FAA Pilot's Handbook of Aeronautical Knowledge, airplane flying handbook, all those other like aviation instructors' handbook. I think that is helpful for the listeners. I'll be honest with you; there are I um, I have sometimes a problem listening to some of these. I can do it sometimes when I'm driving, but it kind of puts me to sleep, to be honest with you. But it is good stuff, though, and it's good to have that playing in the background. It might sink into your head. Uh, doing that, that audio type book, uh, I think that's terrific. Thanks for that uh, link, and we'll have that at the bottom of the show notes. I so appreciate that. And thanks for all the questions. It was terrific. Let's see. Moving on to the next one, The uh, this is actually from a... Uh, uh, this is a great email, by the way. Uh, one of my coaching clients sent me an email, and I think this is really appropriate for uh, our our audience here. He was kind of afraid. It says, here it says, Carl, I have a question that's probably too sensitive to be asked on the air. I'm curious why guys would we willingly go to ultra-budget airlines, i.e. the spirits allegiance of the world? Have you prepared guys aiming for them? I'm curious of their reasoning. Thank you. Great question. And there are many reasons to go to an ultra, uh, called ultra-low-cost is what they're called, uh, ultra-low-cost carrier, uh, the spirits and allegiance of the world, uh, those type of things. There's a couple of them being set up. A couple reasons, some people join them, especially when they're being started up, is they get these great uh, stock options. A good example is the, uh, well, there's a couple examples, actually. A couple of airlines that have started up, have given stock options, like example, Southwest, you look at JetBlue, you look at any of these smaller low-cost airlines that had startups, they were offering stock options. And depending on when you got into the airline, there are people that are now are millionaires because of those stock options that they got in the beginning. Of course, that's the beginning of the low-cost airlines. You're talking about already established low-cost airlines. So let's go to your point, why would people go to these airlines? I have lots of friends that work for both of those airlines, and, and they really enjoy their lifestyle. Ah, going back to that wor- word, quality of life and lifestyle, why would you join Spirit or Allegiant? There's many regions, reasons to join any airline, not just talking about these two, but just in general, any, United, Delta, et cetera. First of all, a big reason, a really big reason, they have a base where you live. I mean, that makes a huge difference. And I get it. We have people leave our airline to go to other airlines because they live in a base for wherever that airline is. That is ginormous. I mean it's it's just not having to go to work on an airplane like commute by flying there is is huge. I'm a kind of a good example of that, ain't I? You know, I, I'm one of those people that uh proper English, ain't I? That's great. They <laughs> one of the reasons I, I'm here is I love the bases where, of the airline I'm in. Uh, there's bases at the places I want to be. And that is a big reason. Because flying is flying. It really is very similar no matter where you go. Once you close a cockpit door, or it's all the same. Once you get away from the gate, you don't know what airline you're flying for. There's no nothing in the cockpit that tells you what airline you fly for. As a matter of fact, I got a funny story for you. I was actually flying for a regional carrier, I think it was SkyWest, who flew for United and also for Delta out of this one hub airport. And I said, welcome aboard Delta flight so-and-so. And And the flight attendant calls me a couple minutes later and says, you know what, this is a United flight. I was Like, oh my gosh, how embarrassing was that? So, actually, what I did from then on, for now on, I always just say the flight number, I don't say the airline. Although I'm no longer with a regional, I don't fly for multiple airlines anymore. It's still, <laughs> it still was so embarrassing, and, then, and, and there was such a, a bad experience because I was like so embarrassed by that. I, I just say the flight number now, <laughs> um, but. The other reasons people go to ultra-low-cost carriers is many times they have uh, rapid, rapid growth, and their ability to move up quickly and to upgrade to captain is really, really a big deal because once you make a captain at like an ultra-low-cost carrier, you're making really good money. Uh, Of course, you do have to deal with different types of schedules, etc., Uh, I'm not sure if you put like the, you know, there's certain ultra low cost carriers that actually make really good money, some of their captains. So going back to the question again, it depends on your situation, why somebody would go to an ultra low cost carrier. And a lot of times it has to do with the bases. It has to do with their situation. They want to do that type of line. The airline goes to the destinations they want to go to. Uh, In the case of, say, I'll give, let's use Allegiant as an example because I know a lot of people there. Obviously, uh, Allegiant was in my backyard, and people say, why didn't you go to Allegiant? Well, I didn't, but I have a bunch of friends there. And you know what? They drive to work every day, so they're driving to work every day. They come home every night. They don't hardly ever do overnights, and they're out and back, out and back, and they want to be home all the time. That's the reason they go to, say, Allegiant. So there's a bonus right there. So there's many many reasons people pick airlines. So don't ever discount any airline anywhere until you look into it fully and say to yourself, "Why would I go there and why would I not go there?" And I think that's really important in your decision-making process. When you're looking at an airline, a lot of it has to do with what I said, quality of life. How do you define your quality of life. Define that quality of life. Think about that. I'd love you to do that. As a matter of fact, we're coming to an end of the podcast right now. And I I always ask you to do something. Do something today to move forward in your career. Well, today I want you to do this. I want you to think about what quality of life means to you. What does quality of life mean to you? Is it being able to be home every night? Is it being able to drive to work only a half hour to an hour? Does traveling to overseas locations and spending many nights away from home, is that the quality of life you want? Is quality of life the ability to move up to captain to make more money so that you can actually buy a better lifestyle? What are, you know, think about all these things. When we talk about quality of life, think about what it means for you. Is it a better system bidding process or bidding process for reserve, that type of thing? And it's some difficult stuff to find out, but you can find that information about the airlines. Figure out what it is. What are the top things for your quality of life? I want weekends off. I want to have more time with my family. I want to be able to have stretches of time off uh, from work, that type of thing. I'm a good example of that. I like to have large stretches of time off. So, for instance, I have, uh, let's see, I think it's 10 days off right now. And, but to do that, I pack my schedule. My airline allows me to do that, most do. And I'm able to have that time off. And that's good for me because I can do a lot of different things as far as air shows and that type of thing. So, quality of life means many different things to many people. Also, the ability to change your quality of life. You know, maybe it's something later on in life, it changes for you. Like, hey, you want to have. You don't care about weekends off. Kids, you know, are out of school. I'm kind of that way. I don't mind working weekends. And I like having the weekdays off because, you know what, the grocery store is empty at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning on, on a Wednesday. That's for sure. Unless you're in a retirement community, of course, that's different. But uh, it's really it's an awesome, awesome thing to think about. So do that for me today. Think about what it is your definition of quality of life is. We'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying.